to welcome you to here today. Um, I'm just going to take a moment to pray and then what we're all set to do. So Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. We ask that you'd help us to understand it for ourselves for today. Amen. <clears throat> so here we are again. Whether that's again because you were here at the earlier service and wondering if you'll get the same talk again, or whether that's here we are again, we're back in this building for another woolly baptism. First there was Riley, and now here is Sophia. Whether you're again is that it's been a week, or frankly, a long time, or perhaps this isn't again. Let me say welcome. Welcome to this gathering, this expression of hope, this place of welcome for all, of whatever background, whatever nationality or status. We all gather with the same purpose, though, to worship God, to hear his calling to us, and today to celebrate with Jenny and Lee as you make statements of faith and promises again of commitment to being part of this community of faith. Those promises, though, are matched by the congregation's promise to walk alongside you, to support you in this messy, stressful process of bringing up children to understand and respond to the love of God. I say messy and stressful advisedly. I have three boys, and it is challenging most of the time. Now, I wonder, have you ever changed your mind about something? Even changed your mind about the wisdom of allowing children to stay in this part of the church when we've got stuff happening for them out there. Perhaps you used to love your job and now you don't. Perhaps you've grown to love your mother-in-law in recent times. Perhaps you regret the way you voted at the referendum back in June and now given a second chance you would change the way that you vote. Perhaps you thought having children was a good thing but now you're not so sure. Perhaps the other way around, perhaps you thought having children would be a bad idea and now you're not so sure. We all review, we all revise our thinking about situations as we discover more, either for the better or for worse. Changing your mind, then, is one way of defining that Bible word, repent. As John the Baptist said in our reading, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So change your mind, or perhaps open your eyes and see the new reality. In John the Baptist's terms, the reason why he called us to do that was because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So God's domain or God's dwelling place is near, is within reach, is breaking into our earth. So we could put those phrases together and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, is a bit like the same as saying, change the way that you think, open your eyes and see the reality that God's ways of living, God's ways of loving, they're breaking into the, our lives on this earth. Now put it like that, and we can begin, I think, to understand a little of how radical John the Baptist was considered to be. John came on the scene 400 plus years since the close of the Old Testament. That is, since God was in the habit of saying much to people. Add to that the, frankly, uncool clothes that he wore, which were, although uncool, they were totally cost-free. And then there was that self-sufficient food lifestyle. You might not want to eat locust and wild honey, but there's no cost involved financially. He had no benefits from an apparently benevolent government given to him. He really did live in a cashless economy. Add all that together and you get a subversive radical 
who was not dependent on anyone for funding, so he wasn't influenced by other people's thinking. That radical then began to preach in the desert and become a thorn in the, in the peaceful existence of the religious leaders. Next, we could throw in a twist around uh, whether this is the Elijah that was promised in the closing verses of the Old Testament. Um, we have on the screen the very last words of the Old Testament. Um, Malachi chapter 4, as we have it in our Bibles today, ends with this statement. I, the Lord, promise to send the prophet Elijah before that great and terrible day comes. That's the day of judgment. And he will lead children and parents to love each other more, so that when I come, I won't bring doom to the land. That's the promise that the Old Testament closes with. And here's John the Baptist looking like, sounding like, being Elijah, who was to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And then you add into all that mix that sense that actually those with good memories would have gone, hang on a minute, this is John the Baptist whose mum and dad were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And didn't Zechariah, he was the priest that was in the temple that was struck dumb when the angel turned up and said, you're going to have a, well, your wife's going to have a baby. And he didn't manage to speak again until he actually wrote on a tablet and said, his name is John. It was a peaceful pregnancy. But this is the same John, the baby, who grew up, who turned out to be John the Baptist in the wilderness. So those with memories would have realised that something special was about John, even from the beginning. John, though, knew that he had a purpose. And that purpose was to stir up the people ahead of his relative Jesus appearing on the public scene. And interestingly, in the next chapter to this, in the reading we had in Matthew's Gospel, we see Jesus declaring the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Is exactly the same as on the lips of John the Baptist in the previous chapter. So we have John declaring that message of a call to a change of mindset because God is on the move. And the outworking of that was that people wanted to be baptised. Now, baptism itself is a statement of intent to all that are watching. It's a sign of a desire to live a different life. And we're told that the people confessed their sins. That is, they told out to all who were listening all the ways that they had not lived according to how God wanted them to live. And then they were baptised as a way of saying, I want to move away from that past lifestyle and start again with God. Just imagine if we did that in these days. Okay, perhaps in, with adults, the closest we get is the opportunity to tell testimony, to tell story of God's calling to them. But it all is rather sanitised and a bit second-hand. It's not that sense of that anguish of that first saying of sorry to God and saying of sorry to those we've hurt by our actions. It's more a retelling of that that we see in modern baptisms. Adult baptisms, sorry. Now... If God's kingdom was about to break into this earth, you might think it was a wise and sensible move for the people to put themselves right with God. It's just that as you look back on the Old Testament, there's numerous incidents where God's presence was more on the side of 
awful than comforting. In response to evil and rebellion against God, so there were outbreaks of leprosy, of disease, of death. The earth opened up and swallowed some guys at one point. And they're all there in scriptures, which these guys had access to. So if God's kingdom was about to break into earth, it was wise not to be at odds with God. No wonder they changed changed the way that they thought and that they lived. In that regard, notice that John himself is not hugely comforting about Jesus. This is what John says. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his fleshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And the implication of that is that, is that there's a separation. The wheat goes one way and the chaff goes the other way. Effectively, John is saying that Jesus is a bit of a Marmite person. Either you love him or you hate him, based on that, and based on that response to Jesus. So in these terms, either you're seen as wheat and go to the barn, or chaff and go to hell. Uh, go to the fire, sorry, the, cha- the fire goes to the chaff. But what about all of us? So what about it? John's message, if you like, has been a bit superseded by the arrival of Jesus on the scene. But only in the sense that we can see much more clearly what the kingdom of heaven coming near really meant. So further on in Matthew's Gospel, or any of the Gospels, we see Jesus demonstrating what life in heaven will be like. So Jesus evicts demons. He brings sight to the blind. He brings good skin to those who have leprosy. He brings wellness where there was illness. He brings life where there was death. He brings forgiveness and reconciliation. The other thing that we can think is different as we look back is our understanding of who Jesus was. Because Jesus, we now recognise as being fully God but also fully human, and that's a weird one to get your head round. But just think of it this way. I think John was expecting Jesus to turn up with all that full, as it were, majesty and glory of God on earth. Whereas actually we see in um, one one of the letters describes Jesus as having laid aside his majesty in order to be fully human, as well as fully God, in order to walk this earth and to bring something of the love and the grace of God, rather than initially the judgment and the, 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 the as it were, the, yes, the judgment and therefore that separation. So, so Jesus came with a much, as it were, softer message than I suspect John was expecting, at least for these days. But we sit in Advent, where in churches at least, we think not just about the fact that Christmas is coming, but that the second return of Jesus is coming. Not the second return, the second coming of Jesus is about to happen. Jesus is going to return. And that's the point where, if we remember again that stuff from Malachi, from the end of the Old Testament, that actually the great and terrible day of the Lord is still to come, where there's going to be judgment and separation. And actually some of that comes from recognising something about the death and resurrection of Jesus, which obviously John didn't know was going to happen. And and, and having looked back, those who are followers of Jesus would recognise that in dying, Jesus took on himself the consequences of all our sins. And in the resurrection, we see that ultimate acceptance of God, of God the Father, of Jesus' sacrificial death. 
me just show you an illustration of this. If this were to be the record of 2016 sins, then if this is my hand, it kind of weighs me down a bit. I was originally designed to be in good communication with God, just pretend this hand's God for a bit, okay? But my sins stopped me from communicating well with God. But God in Jesus came to earth and in dying took on him the sins of me and the whole earth and therefore freed us up to relate well again to God. We're called though to say thank you and yes please to that offer of forgiveness. So, in other words, we know much more of the meaning now behind that bold statement of John's, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But also, that call to change, for some, is now no longer new news. But it is a continuing calling to us all to change. So the question for each of us has to be, will you change the way that you think? Will you open your eyes to the reality of the continuing nearness of God's kingdom? That is the kingdom of heaven. I say that because God's kingdom continues to break into this world. We continue to see samples on this earth of what it's like in God's heaven. So what Jesus said remains true which is whatever you ask for and do not doubt, you will receive. So God brings healing to people who ask for it. He brings freedom to those who need it. He brings hope to those who otherwise don't have hope. Now, changing the way that we think has, I think, a few strands to it. For some people who find healing in a sort of very physical and clear way, that cuts through all of those questions, doesn't it? You know, those questions of, does God exist? Is he interested in me? Is he bothered with me? Well, yes, he is. If he's just healed you, that's really easy. But for other people, I think there has to be a deliberate choice to say, I'm going to set aside cynicism and choose to discover more about this God. That might be about committing to reading one of the Gospels, perhaps Matthew's Gospel, given we read it from it today. And yes, you can see it online, but also copies are available in print, and we can give you a copy today. Or how about perhaps an Alpha course, which is a way of discovering more about who Jesus said he is. All the films for the Alpha course are available free on YouTube, so you don't even have to join a group these days. You could just decide you're going to sit and watch, just search Alpha course videos on YouTube and you'll find them. Um, Actually, do something to choose to become more open to the possibility of changing your mind as you discover more. So will you choose to discover more about the real Jesus in the coming weeks? For in the end, that's, that knowing of Jesus is the only route to having hope. There's another Bible reading we could have had this morning, but we spared it from you. Um, at the end, uh, Matthew, uh, Romans, the book of, that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, runs like this, Matthew, uh, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope... Uh, Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a hope for beyond this life. It's about hope for eternity. So I wonder, is it time to change your mind, to open your eyes, 
to see again, perhaps again, perhaps for the first time, something of God's amazing love for you. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you that you love each of us, that you know all about us, and you still choose to love us. Give us grace. Give us courage. Give us boldness to discover more of your love for us each and every day. Amen.